Welcome back to Following Know It on a Stormlight Podcast. This week is episode 116, and we are continuing part three of Rhythm of War, chapters 52 through 56. Uh, Paul, how are you? I'm great. Great. I got a um, sad, but with glad news, my microphone passed away. So I got a new one. So that's exciting. Um, I have a new microphone. I don't know if people can tell a difference or not. I can't actually hear myself. Maybe when this episode airs, I'll, I'll get to go listen. But uh, doing good. Uh, very excited to get further. We're going through part three now. So I'm excited. Sounds good. How are you, Elliot? Doing quite well also. I too am surprised by how fast we're going it, it seems very strange to say when we're spending you know seven or eight months reading reading a single book but it seems like we're moving along faster than i thought we were going to which is is kind of fun yeah paul who's on our mug before we get started with the episode ah our lovely um mug this week is um my apologies to any like Italians out there. It's Alla Genovese Pesto is the name of the container, the 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 or the mug. But um, and we have a longer name, so we're gonna have to do a spin here. We have a new surgeon, which is Sebastian, and my handwriting is really bad. So as everyone knows, it's been like fifty or so episodes now, or however many. I don't know at this point. Um, Sebastian is our new surgeon and we're very appreciative of all of your support um of our of our little podcast here you know just two years ago you know we were just getting started and here we are with sebastian at our side so it's thank it's just great yeah. thank you sebastian i thought that was a i thought that was a candle when you first held it up like one of those little really shallow candle things but you just kept pulling it further into frame and it just kept getting taller so that makes sense that makes sense i did a very thorough job of washing this but there is the ever slightest hint of pesto still so <laughs> delicious sort of not really better or worse than your italian seasoning i think better yeah i think better All right. Do you guys have two words to summarize episode 116? Start with Elliot. Indeed. And also, my... how was your week, Elliot? Did, did we ask that? I'm sorry. I thought we, you didn't we... ask him. I did. He, he asked me. I gave a short answer about oh, I'm how done. fast we're I'm moving s- through the book. I'm sorry. I thought you just ignored how his week was doing, so I'm sorry. I tried to stand up for you, but looked like a fool instead. I, so. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate you looking out for me. I do also have two words, and they are... Little kiddos. Ah, little kiddos. Oh. My two words are building up. All right. Let's use these four words and talk about Rhythm of War. building up little kiddos which wants to go first paul does i think ours are the same i think ours are about the same thing mine was in reference to building up little kiddos quite literally um okay uh there's kind of a moment 
in I believe chapter fifty four, uh, where the uh, Dalinar has a talk with Gavinor, Elokar's mm-hmm. son. Uh, at first off, it was really we'll we'll probably dive into it a little more as we go forward. But hearing about like Gavinor's just state of mind, just like where he is, is very it was very heartbreaking. It was very sad. Yeah. Uh, but also there was hope of he was getting better. Like he's getting better. Uh, he's growing, and like it, it was just a heartfelt emotional moment with with Gavinor. You know the the little. The, the young child um and it was kind of a time f- that i felt dal and i was was working to build build him up so that was part of it um as well as uh we kind of have a lot of stuff going on which i just feel like is overall building up to wherever the pinnacle of this book is going to go i'm guessing something with void light or some kind of new light or something crazy but you know in part three, we're really starting to like ramp up more um, towards the climax of our story. I took a similar subject, but took it in a different direction. I did pick Little Kiddos for Gavinor, but then also for Kaladin's little brother, yeah. whose name I can never quite remember correctly. Or Oroden or something like that. Is that it? Yep. Okay. I I took it in more of like not quite a negative light, but more of like a a heart wrenching, like sadness type of emotion that I was feeling in those sections because there's the scene here where the pursuer decides to go after Kaladin's family, which for the record is fairly low down and dirty. But I don't know why, but that scene was actually I was worried. I was I was legitimately worried in that moment that we might be about to lose like a member of Kaladin's family, like either his father, his mother, or the little one, because we know what the pursuer is is capable of. And so to have Venli and Leshui like step in there and help out, actually, I think I was more like emotionally tied into that moment than maybe I should have been. It was a very short segment, but it was it was like a I don't know my heart started beating a little hard. And then there was a second one. With Gavinor, which was what you talked about, Paul, that moment where Dalinar talks to him, which was super cool. But I think like a a certain part of Elokar's death hadn't quite sunk in for me until that moment. Like that moment resurfaced some emotions that I hadn't quite you know felt in a while since Elokar's death. Like having to watch Gavinor process it was painful. Yeah. Gavinor's a pretty unfortunate age for all of this to be happening because he's he's barely old enough to comprehend what is happening, but not old enough to understand why and who is right. like who all is behind this and everything like that. So he he understands enough to understand that mommy killed daddy, you know, like that, that's just <laughs> that's just terrible. But mm-hmm. yep. All right, let's talk about chapter 52 right off the, well, in chapter 52, we have a spell check. We haven't had a spell check in a little bit. We have a, an ardent lady. I don't know if she's an ardent, um, somebody who's affiliated with Gavilar gifts Venli a sphere. 
and talks to Venli in her language, which we can talk about in a little bit. But what is her name? We will be doing a, a spell check here. So, what, Elliot goes first for these? Yeah, Paul can go first. It's fine. I, I think joking. so. Yeah, so joking. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. It had me. It had me questioning myself there. I I almost got gotcha. you. Almost got gotcha. you. Um, yes, I'll, I'll take a shot at pronouncing pronouncing this name. Can't even pronounce pronounce. Not a good start. I, as soon as I read it, I, I was I figured, oh no, I'm gonna have to be saying this one. There, there's a few tricky letters in here which I know I'm gonna stumble over. But as usual, I think I just gotta go for it. So. The name of this lady, with all the rings on her, her hand, is Axindweth. I, I just kind of have <laughs> to like mush some of the some of the syllables together and like Axindweth, okay, or something. That's a good reaction, Paul. What do you got for us? <laughs> you you can you can alter based on what he said. Yeah, that's yes, that's true. So I I gave my my I wrote down my guess beforehand, like before we started recording, you know. And I would just like to say that I heard this and was like, okay, I think this is one of those that's not too hard. I think I'm just oversimplifying. Like I, I'm gonna overcomplicate it. So I went very simplistic. Um, and then as Elliot was like, man, I saw this one and I just knew. I just knew it would be a spell check and then like <laughs> had probably like eight more syllables than I had. Um so the way the 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 audiobook pronounces this name is Zindweth. Uh-huh. Zindweth. So what I wrote, which I'm I might I might re <laughs> I might re guess this. What I wrote knowing Zindweth I went a very simple. I also asked Trevor specifically because uh, I was trying to remember: was it like an Alethi name? Was it a Parshendi name? You know, really gathering my clues here. You know, language of origin. Can you use it in a sentence? All the stuff. You know, for my spelling bee. And I just went very simple. I said Z I N D W E T H. You're very close. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's better than I expected after hearing. I couldn't even tell you what Elliot said. Yeah. He was like, Arkansan is indented with or something. <laughs> and you're just missing the beginning, which is throwing me because you're, 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 the way you're saying it seems to be leaving out the whole first syllable. Yes. They, they can, so the correct way to spell it is A X I N D W E T H. So they, they treat the X like a, like a Z sound. And then they just skip the A. Why? Very, have very we seen this before? <laughs> like, is this a new language? Like, since when? Just skip letters. It's just, you know, it's, yeah, it's this optional. Is new. This is new. The name is and, whatever you want it to be as the reader. And, and not remotely palindromic either, which is sometimes a clue. Yeah, or a help. foreign, right? Is so. it a clue? That's an interesting interesting thing you bring up what what does that mean elliot whose names are palindromic well yeah that is it's a it is an, thing right yes which is which is quite curious and i guess that, that does lead us into our discussion on her perhaps because i am trying to really figure out who this is she's attached to gavilar's entourage it i think is mentioned at some point that she's a surgeon's assistant mm-hmm. which 
I don't know, maybe that's a, a cover or, or maybe it's not, but she should be Alethi. Yep. And or Vorin. Yep. But, but she, her name does not reflect that. Name is not anywhere near what we Which would give the clue that she's not from around here. Right. And she even gives, I think she even says something to Venley about like, you know, oh, I don't actually share this name with most people, but my name is this. So, yeah, very suspicious. So when she's talking to Venley, and I do want to, I want to stay on this for a little bit. She talks to her in her language, which, which surprises Venley. And Venley is like the, the language scholar. She, she is there to translate back and forth. She's there to teach the humans of like the singer's songs and stuff. So if anybody could speak her language, Venley would, you know, be in contact with them and being. I'll just cut straight to the chase here. Do you guys remember when Dalinar speaks to the Azish in their language without knowing it? Yes. And what power he was he using there? Well, it was specifically one of his um, one of his radiant powers. It's the one that pulls things together or something, isn't it? It's the, yes, it's the Bondsmith's interpretation of adhesion, uh, of pulling okay. pulling things together and uniting things is is the is the power there. I'm not. I don't know if this is that. That's just where my mind went to. I don't know the answer to this. Um, but speaking languages that you're not supposed to be able to speak. Um, that's where my mind went of Dalinar being able to, to speak or to be heard in their language, because I don't, the reason why I went there is because I don't know if Zindweth could know this language traditionally because they've only met one or two times before this, right? Well, we're, we're made to believe that, right? Uh-huh. But I think that's from the perspective that's from the per- perspective of the Alethi. The Alethi have only met a handful of times here. Okay. But the yeah. fact that the, the fact that this person clearly knows way more than the Alethi know and knows exactly what she's doing when she hands Venley this gemstone with the the void spren in it. All of that leads me to point to more of a this person knows a lot about listeners. Singers, right. even and and maybe even yeah, more specifically, probably singers. Maybe even knows right. like ancient singer language, and that's how she knows the listener language. Yeah, okay, I'll I'll buy that. So, Trevor, I have a yes or no question for you. Did you? Uh, maybe it's not a yes or no question. Um, so I, I I I did you make the spell check for us to like notice and point out things or? solely innocently as a, oh this is a funny name uh no the, the spell check stemmed from the discord when some of our discord members were looking forward to trying to listen to you spell that name so that's where that's where that came from okay okay but i didn't know if it this just happened your... it just happened to land on a particularly interesting character okay that's fair and it could easily be both but whenever sure. elliot pointed stuff out i was like ooh okay you know, mm-hmm. very sneaky, pointing us at something. So, but yeah, perhaps, I, I am perhaps. a big, I, I am happy that Elliot noticed that because that that is that's a very Brandon Sanderson clue to drop is 
she's supposed to have a Voran name. And you guys notice that is this is not a Voran name. That's supposed to tell you something, and I'm and I'm glad you you caught that. I one parallel or guess perhaps that I might make is the only name I can draw a comparison with is actually Zeth. There's just kind of some sounds, some letters in there that might be similar to Zeth's name, which is Shin, as mm-hmm. far as we know. So perhaps there's something going on there, which, I mean, we already know that the Shin know way more than everybody else. You know, they're apparently just over there sitting on all of the honor blades, you know, kind of stuff. So for them to have someone who knows the old language of the singers, I wouldn't be too surprised. I guess the only caveat against that I might think of is that they're very ethnically different. They yeah. they are noticeable in their appearance, and right. we didn't get any sort of description of this person as pale and shin looking, right? But yeah, I'm curious. The language thing, interesting note though. I, I'm I'm going to keep my eye on that because while I don't, I think there's other explanations there. That this would be fascinating if this language thing is some sort of ability, not just a knowledge. I wonder if she could have Ishar's blade. I, why not? Would that Perhaps. would that give her? I assume so. I assume that would give her that power. It should, right? Yeah. As far as we know. Interesting. Although she wouldn't be able to just dismiss it, right? You can't dismiss honor blades, right? That's true. I don't. I don't think you can dismiss honor blades. Anyway, they're like they're just like they, right? They're like blades, normal blades. Because Dalinar had to stash the uh, the Windrunner one instead of like bond it and dismiss it or whatever. Anyway, um, what does Zindweth give Venley the the actual um, bomb drop of this uh, this chapter? She gives her the uh, she gives her a gemstone. And she she explains. I don't remember the what exactly she says. But basically, basically she says, you know, go go into the storm, bond this spren like you know how to do, and it will unlock everything you're looking for, or something like that. Yeah. What's the what's the hook that she gets Venley with? Why does Venley end up accepting this? That's set up at the beginning of the chapter, which I want to push on this because how does she know this? This hook is important. It's her mother, right? Yes. She says, this will heal your mother. And re- just at the beginning of this chapter, we got the re- the reveal that her Venley's mother, Venley Nationalist mother is beginning to deteriorate from Alzheimer's and, you know, a, or a similar memory disorder disease. Um, so how, how does... Zindweth have that much information to where she can hook Venley with your mom is dying and I know this and this will save her. Like that's some Anakin getting tempted with the save your loved ones dark side stuff. 
Finding finding where it hurts, you know. Seems like it. And and also a knows suspiciously more than they should sort of thing. Right. But it I can I can understand knowing a suspicious amount about like the listeners in general. Or like, you know, how spheres work. That like there's enough ancient knowledge out there to where you can there there's specific people who would know that. I, I can understand that. But to have insider information in the listeners, like her specific family, to know that her her mother is beginning to suffer, like that's that's a fact that just Venley is beginning to accept herself. Like how, where is she getting that information? How many heralds have we accounted for? There's <laughs> there's several that we we don't really know much about, right? I mean. When it comes to like suspicious people popping up and doing random stuff that's maybe crazy, that's kind so, of where my mind goes. To answer your question, all of the guys are present and Shalosh is present as and accounted for. Four of the girls are missing. I'm missing one guy though in my count. I know we've seen Yezrian, we've seen Kalak, we've seen Tom, we've seen Nail, we've seen Ash. Did you say Yezrian, Tom, Kalak? Yezrian, Tom, Kalak. Ishar. We've seen Ishar. Yeah, he's the. He's we know the, where he is. Yeah, you know, you know. Oh, where okay. He is. He's the he's the god king dude in Tukar who's leading his own army against the the singers. Okay. He's kind of okay. crazy though. It, nothing new with our heralds. Right. The only one who didn't seem extremely crazy was Ash. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she definitely crazy. She yes, she, but a little less maybe. Fair, mayhaps. Compare comparatively to the rest. Have we seen Kalak? We haven't really seen dialogue or anything. I was going to say, have we seen currently him since? No, we just know he was in that like prologue. Right, but I'm just trying to think if we've seen him since then. I don't think so. Okay. Not that I know of. Yeah, we we saw him. We saw him in the prelude, obviously, and uh-huh. then we did see him in the prologue as well. Yes, the prologue um, to this book. Correct, uh, but we haven't mm-hmm. seen him since Gavilar's death. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yes, got it. But anyway, Harold? Question mark. Yeah, I I, I could buy that. I two more things real quick on this person before we leave it. She does mention like at the very end that she's been sent by someone. Yes. It's just kind of mentioned offhand, but I'm left kind of asking who, who is out there that knows a ton of information. Wants the singers to attain their void bringer power, whatever you want to call it. I don't know that this quite matches up with a person or an organization that we have encountered before. I'm sure it could, but there's no obvious like, oh, this is Ghostbloods or, oh, this is Sons of Honor. It doesn't, none of those seem to quite fit. I would argue Sons of Honor is fairly obvious. Well, here's the thing. Sons of Honor is also Gavilar and um, Amaram, right? Right. 
So, which this person seems to be acting independent of them. She seems to know things that Gavilar is still trying to find out. Right. Gavilar is here trying to learn about the singers, not coming already having unlocked all the secrets. This person seems to have all the secrets. Right. So for that reason, yeah. I'm I'm divorcing those two. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm curious. As usual. Yeah, I mean, I I would still say the strongest contender is like because she's with Gavilar, right? And Gavilar brings her to the Shattered Plains multiple times. And so I would, my guess would be right now that she is in the Sons of Honor, but she's also knows more than the Sons of Honor. So she, she's aligned with the Sons of Honor to help them, but she's in it for her own motives and is has an ulterior motive than just bring back the Voidbringers, which is the sense of honor that would that would be my guess mm -hmm. did you have something else for her no that was it okay 53 uh present day venley venley gets the reveal that kaladin's awake kaladin's beating up singers up and down the tower and uh she she's talking to some messenger dude um i don't remember who she's talking to but he's like oh yeah and we found we found his family and we're going to to kill him or the pursuer is probably going to kill him or torture them or whatever um and venley act, acts very quickly you guys talked about this a little bit in your words so i'll turn it over to you guys what do you think oh i I'm excited to actually see these Vinley chapters unfold now. Uh, I feel like there's been a lot of waiting for for Vinley stuff to happen. Um, to be to be honest, um, not in a bad way. It's just like we haven't seen a lot compared to our previous books with their quote themed character or main character. Um, but there's a lot of this pressure with the Vinley chapters is kind of she is incognito she's like kind of undercover but not like kind of i don't know it almost feels like she's on neither side of this war right that makes sense she's not like i want to save the humans and join them and she's not i want to destroy the humans like right it's like she she's somewhere in between i feel like she's on the side of knowledge you know uh way to go for venley but um, there's just this, like, like she knows that she's doing things that are illegal, effectively, for her, her crew, uh, being she's bonded a Radiant Sprint. Um, and I just keep having this aching feeling of, like, when is it gonna be revealed? When When is it gonna, like, come to the light, um, about Timber and everything? And, and this, anytime she talks to Leshwi or any of our like the heavenly ones, is that what they're called? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and any of them, I get nervous of like something's gonna come out, something's gonna come up, she's gonna get caught, and whatever the heck they do with with a uh, rogue Parshendi, you know, 
Mm-hmm. Um, but that was kind of a big part of my thought here of what was happening when she was talking to, um, to Leshwi, because we kind of see that, um, one, she kind of has, um, what is it? In this chapter, Timber is really kind of like pushing her forward some, or she starts to feel this like progression towards oaths. Um, yeah, I I do want to talk about, go ahead. Which is interesting. Yeah, she she kind of starts to feel this like progression, and I keep thinking like every time that we've seen this in our other characters, it's not like a. It, I don't think this is entirely true, and this isn't how it would unfold. But every time we see our characters say oaths, they just like up and say it wherever they are, whatever they're doing, and I'm like, I wonder if the words like came to her at a certain moment. Like, would she say them, and then everyone's like. What did you just say? <laughs> and then, yeah. I mean, the, um, that did happen back in Oathbringer. So the very last Venley chapter we got in Oathbringer was her saying, life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination. And then a fuse comes and spins her around and says, what did you say? And she's like, nothing. So, yeah, that that, that has happened. but um, That's true. I guess I didn't remember that happening like that. But, yeah. At least any of our, like, notable. That was, like, ambiguous, fused number 12, you know? Right. Um, so she could be like, um, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in charge, you know? Um, I do want to... I want to bring up the fact that Timber is urging her to reveal herself to Leshwe. That's That is strange. Like, we know, and Venley knows that Leshwe has a soft spot for Kaladin and, and the honor of the Windrunners and stuff like that. But Tim, for Timber to want to reveal herself to Leshwe, like that is, that's, that's weird. I don't understand it other than the only thing that I can think of that might be a big thing for this is Leshwe seems to almost be on a similar page of She's not, like, entirely devious or entirely evil like a lot of our other Heavenly Ones infused are. Um, Is it this chapter that... Sorry, what... I'm trying to get it mixed up. I'll actually ask for y'all's help to kind of, like, arrange what happens in the right way. Mm -hmm. So, at this point, the Pursuer is, like, coming after Kaladin's family, right? Right. Um... And they, like, get away, and isn't Leshwe, like, kind of glad about it, or, like, a little relieved or something? Or doesn't something like that happen? Like, she's not it's, upset about it? It's even more proactive than that. So, Venli hears that the Pursuer is going to take Kaladin's family and torture them. Venli takes action and runs to Leshwe, who, up until now, she has kept her distance from, because she's supposed to be spying on Raboniel for Leshwe. And they're they're not really supposed to have a relationship right now, um, but runs to Leshwe and says, "Kaladin's family is going to die," and Leshwe goes and actively hides them from the pursuer. So are Venli and Leshwe on the same team? They just don't know it. Kind of thing. It seems it seems like they almost are, but we haven't seen. 
from Lestri's perspective, which doesn't make sense of any other things that Lestri's really done. But, like, why would she do that? She's trying to get leverage over the Pursuer because she has a soft spot for Kaladin and the Pursuer is after Kaladin. Um, so she's trying to shield Kaladin's family because that's a pressure point for Kaladin and she, and she knows it. There's one comment though, in this chapter that Lestri makes that makes me wonder if there is some possible ulterior motive. She comments about Kaladin's spren. They're they're just like talking about, I, I think Venley might even be asking her. Yeah. Venley kind of calls her out a little bit. And she's like, you know, hey, you you kind of have a soft spot for this guy, don't you? And, and Lestri's like, yeah, he he fights honorably. Oh, and he has this spren. She's very ancient. And then they move on. And and I, I highlighted that. I was like, wait, what? One, why do you know that? And two, why are you interested in that? What what about Sill has drawn Leshwi's interest? And is that really all that Leshwi's after here? Maybe all this soft spot for Kaladin has been a bit of a ruse and for some reason Sill is the center of Leshwi's interest here maybe maybe I, I don't want to spin an entire theory on like you know four words in a sentence but I it 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 flashed a, a small alarm bell in the back of my brain yeah did that help clear anything up Paul yes yeah okay. my, my confusion wasn't what was just about like what literally happened in the chapter? I guess it was a minute since I read the the first couple chapters here. So, okay. um, Leshwi has kind of confused me with some of this stuff, but the leverage over the pursuer makes sense because he's kind of psycho. Uh, he's more than a little psycho. Anything else for for fifty three? Just another offhand mention. Something that. Timber and Leshwi are thinking about, no, Timber and Venley are thinking about, it's mentioned that Reachers don't bond humans. And it's, I think it's implied there or even specifically stated that Timber is a Reacher. Mm-hmm. Is this, I think we've come to this conclusion already that Venley is a will shaper. Right. But is is this our like official confirmation that that's the will shaper? I, it doesn't say that, but it, it seems like we haven't seen any will shapers anywhere else. And if we've just been told that this type of sprint will not bond a human, that, that there's our explanation why we haven't seen any will shapers amongst the rest of our, you know, radiant heroes. So it seems like that's for sure at this point. Right. She, yeah, she is a will shaper. Um, I don't know if we've been like canonically confirmed that besides the, color of the title the color of the book um and the the banner on the book um, because everybody knew she was a a will shaper before the book even came out but that's just because of how the storm that archive is structured um but yeah as far as in text confirmation i would assume this is it that um this is the first will shaper we've seen in venley That was the only other note I had from that chapter. Sounds good. And then we kick off chapter 54 with the conversation that Elliot, you said on the podcast before that maybe in, 
I want to say the Oathbringer wrap-up episode, maybe, um, that you were really looking forward to the day when Dalinar would sit Gavinor down and tell him the story of his father and how how brave he was to go to to Alethkar to try to, to successfully save him and and sacrifice his life in doing so um it's not it this conversation doesn't quite pan out like that because Gavinor at the time was old enough to maybe understand what was all happening maybe not why but does understand the consequences of Elikar's death and all that so so what do you guys think of this uh conversation here I love this scene in that it shows the it, it shows Elokar having a positive legacy, which is exactly what I was hoping for. That we had this character Elokar, who we didn't really like too much. At least I think most people probably didn't. He's kind of annoying. He's kind of paranoid. He's not a great leader. But then he has this redeeming moment where he sacrifices himself for our heroes and for his son and he speaks the words it's this epic moment but then he dies tragically and the fear would be that the elokar we didn't like would continue to be kind of the legacy that he leaves but i love i was and what i was hoping for was this moment right here that dalinar can tell that story of the way elokar sacrificed himself and he does that you're right, and it comes off in just more of a sad way because you're kind of just watching poor Gavinor try to process what's going on here and just kind of feeling sad that his dad isn't there anymore and his mom's not there anymore either. But it's still, it, it was a positive sad. Inspiring sad? Is that a thing? Yeah, I would say inspiring sad. It's a good way to put it because it was kind of his his time to like step up and help the crew kind of thing. And then it's just made past tense right away. Yep. There, there's a comment in this section though, that did make me chuckle in almost a sad way. He Dalinar mentioned something about like, Oh, he's, he's awfully young to be out here on the battlefield. And yeah, some people don't like that, but then, how else would a would a child learn the ways of war? Yeah. It, it's like, um, what? Children don't need to learn the ways of war, Dalinar, but I guess that's the lefty culture for you. Well, they're kind of in a war right now, so it's like awkward. And then the real substance of, well, the other substance of this chapter, I should say. Dalinar goes to the Windrunner stew party that they have every night, and Renarin is there. And we didn't talk about it last episode, but Renarin pulls Dalinar aside last episode and says, hey, I, uh, I had a vision. We need to talk. And Dalinar's like, great. I'll we'll talk you know, tomorrow or whatever. So Dalinar and Renarin uh, step aside to go talk about this vision. What do you guys think about the the vision here? There's a lot of vague symbolism here. Do you guys want to try to interpret some of this? Yes, but then also no. 
this is another tantalizing moment where it seems like I should know what this means. But then at the same time, I feel like I don't have all the information and that anything I spin together here will just be guesses. But there is some cool imagery here for sure. In Renarin's vision, he sees he sees Dalinar in fully white shard plate. Correct. But he's been pierced with a black arrow. Yep. And that's all I wrote down in my notes. I don't remember if there's anything else in the vision. Dalinar is fighting with his back to Odium. He is not fighting Odium. He's fighting something else while Odium right. is there. And then there's some creeping, like decaying black stuff everywhere, which Renarin says is himself. It's like Renarin? Yes. The, the all white and the black arrow is really confusing because yeah, it seems like perhaps part of this is Dalinar was supposed to be Odium's champion, right? Yes. Odium was supposed to, ha ha, guess what? You're my champion. You have to fight for me. But Dalinar did not surrender his, his pain and did not choose to join Odium's side. So that doesn't quite make sense. In my head, if, I don't know if you're done yet. If if not, no go go. I don't want to interrupt, but um, my in my head, if Renarin is referring to himself, like the kind of creeping edge, whatever you want to call it, as himself, I'm wondering if this vision is almost like the opposite of what you would think. Like this is the like almost a vision of what would have been had Dalinar been Odium's champion. He'd probably be robed all in white, like gorgeous garment looking flawless. Um, and maybe this like black piercing arrow is not evil. Like, like I, like initially I was like, Oh, this is a vision of how Dalinar is being honorable and radiant and all the good things. And this one piercing arrow is like, Ooh, his his Achilles heel, like something that's gonna hurt him, you know. Yeah. But maybe this is like an altered vision of like what would have been, and that it's like the opposite, if that makes sense. Okay. Because I think of it like his back to Odium. It's almost like he's fighting for Odium. And if Renarin is referring to himself as this like creeped, crumbly edge or whatever kind of stuff, um, maybe that's not bad. I'm right. also thinking that, so we kind of learn in this part, which was my favorite part of this chapter, um, kind of how Odium can't really predict stuff with Renarin, because Renarin kind of has foresight into the future. And so because of that, he could alter com- complicated stuff there, but like he sees stuff in the future and therefore adjusts his actions. Right. Therefore, Odium can't really predict what he's going to do, what right. Renarin is going to do. So, since, and what confused me initially, go back to end of Oathbringer kind of thing, was why is it affecting people that are near Renarin? And it's because Renarin's actions would then in turn affect other people's actions around him. Because, so because of you, this scene, he goes and talks to Dalinar, tells him about what he saw, and that alters what Dalinar does. 
Yes, exactly. Right. Um, and because of that, so... Because of that, uh, Odium can't quite tell what's going to happen with people that are near to Renarin as well, as Renarin himself. So, all that to say, that made me think that this, the creepiness stuff is like the physical embodiment of like almost that part where Odium can't see what he's doing. Un- unsure. I-, I don't. I don't have anything really definitive there, but um, I'm just imagining Renarin as like literally kind of like a figurative force field for for the people that he's near, like from Odium in in a way like that. So I said a lot of things there that didn't really point to anything super specific, but. I th- I just think this vision is going to very much turn out to not be something direct. I'm trying to go anti what I might think it would be, if okay. that makes sense. I have something to build on that, but go ahead, Elliot. I'll just say real fast, I- I'm tracking with all that, actually, Paul. I, I follow all of your-, your logic. It makes sense to me. The that's only... <laughs> no, you explained it well. That-, that was a good interpretation, I think. The only part that's confusing me, actually, is the white armor. If... If he was, if this was truly a image false or, you know, here's a possibility that's not going to happen. If it really was, this is what Dalinar would have been as Odium's champion. The, the color that we almost always get associated with Odium is gold. Yeah. Not white. Although I think he may have been robed in white and gold or something like that in a few of the scenes. So m- maybe I'm going too far with this, but... I would have expected some mention somewhere of gold if this was supposed to be Dalinar as Odium's champion. And the white is throwing me off for some reason. That's a good point. I, I thought about this a little bit and I kind of chalked it up to the like, his theme is kind of white and gold, like the white yeah, robes or yeah, like white be. gold is a thing, I guess. Or like, yeah, that that was my thought. But I think you're right. Like Odium's signature thing is definitely this like, gold um so yeah and that's that's why i think it might be like a false kind of thing because it makes it look like dalinar is like in this white plate because he's so pure and honorable and like outstanding but like in this vision he's actually like evil essentially um and it's more of like a red herring there I, I, there's a lot of keywords that you're dropping that I really like, Paul. I'm going to take my interpretation and throw it back at you. Um, so I like a lot of things you said. Um, here, here was my interpretation of it. This is the contest of champions that we're seeing. That's what I think. Odium is, and the whole point of this, um, of this vision is the contest of champions is not going to work is the interpretation here. And here's here's my interpretation here. Dalinar is in white. And I don't read into that too much. I do think that Dalinar is on the correct side is what the is what white means. He is his own champion. He's going to appoint himself as honors champion. The black arrow, I will come back to. Odium, he is not facing Odium. That's a big problem. Because I think that means that 
no matter how the contest of champion goes, Odium is going to find a way to wiggle out of it. He's outside the picture watching as opposed to like Dalinar is fighting something else. And Renarin keeps saying, we're going to keep fighting this war unless we, you know, was a date set, was a, were, were terms picked that, that type of stuff that because Odium is, he's not fighting Odium, the contest of champions, as we know it, Odium is going to be able to wiggle out of. Now, the Black Arrow. There is a vital, and I don't know if I know the answer to this, but th I think there is a vital flaw in Dalinar setting himself as the champion. And Odium knows it, which is the Black Arrow. I think there are people in the world that Dalinar will refuse to fight, and he will lose. And Odium can set one of those people as his champion. That's a good. That's a good theory. I'm trying to think of who he wouldn't fight. Would it be like Navani or something? My my theory is even crazier. You ready? Is it going to be? I'll I'll let you say it. It's going to be Gavinor. He's going to appoint Gavinor as his champion, and Dalinar is going to be forced to refuse the fight and lose. That's that's pretty good. That's a pretty good prediction. Because Odium knows that Dalinar will not choose anyone besides himself, because that's who Dalinar is. He will he will fight in himself. He's not going to the way of kings, he's not going to assign someone a fight that he would not take himself. So all Odium has to do is find someone that Od that Dalinar cannot beat or will refuse to beat. That's my that's my theory. That's a really like really good theory. And that would be an excellent point. Like I I, I would full props to like the storyline and everything that would happen with that. But I would be so mad. I dang it <laughs> like <laughs> Get out of here with that, you know. I like that. I like that theory a lot. That definitely seems like a glimpse into the mind of Odium. Perhaps that's that's a very mm -hmm. Odium type way yes. to do this. That's I, I think that's brilliant. That is. I guess I don't. My only hesitation with it is I don't quite see the symbolism of this vision matching up with that. Right. I'm okay. not quite sure that I see that in this. But that that doesn't mean that I'm I, I don't believe in that theory. I think that th theory is brilliant and could but, definitely happen. And I think I think the real linchpin here is it even puts more emphasis on Renarin because right. Renarin is part of this and changing the image. And Odium can't predict this, so I do think that this is what will happen were it not for Renarin being right in the picture. I see. Yep. Yeah. I follow. Like, this is what would have happened. But it could be subject to change because of Renarin. But Renarin is right there cracking the, the picture on the, like, the blackness on the, yeah, well, you get it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty cool. I'm a I fan like of it. all this. Oh, I would love to, uh, hypothetically, if this is like a, 
let's say he's not fighting Gavin, or let's say it's someone he can fight, and it's just a really good old fashioned fight, you know, mm-hmm. like Adolin duels kind of idea thing. I'm imagining this is like an on screen adaptation where you've like watched these movies or shows or whatever for so long, and then you get to the end and there's this like contest of champions, and Dalinar walks out in this like gleaming white and just like oh that'd be so cool that just i i'm like picturing it so vividly in my head right now and how he like pulls a shard blade out or just something like that and just like oh that'd the be storm, the storm father finally agrees to be a shard blade for him and he pulls out yes. the storm oh the storm my. blade like oh lightning my gosh. And... exactly exactly that'd be so sick oh and he says he definitely would have some incredible quote you know like oh, so just the jaw-dropping quote and it'd just be like oh oh my goodness everything ever and, and, and the, the dalinar epic. score theme just swells to like the, yes. the max you've oh. ever like full orchestra you know level and the last time you heard it that full orchestra was him charging down from the tower back in the first season that's the last time you've heard mm-hmm. it like that full orchestra mm-hmm. exactly exactly it like swoops in of course there's the villain theme too right like i don't know it would make way more sense for Kaladin to fight Moash, but in my head right now, that's who he would fight is Moash or something. It would be like Odium's champion or something. The villain theme comes out. Ooh, ooh, everyone boos, you know. And then... Now... And then he gets a sweet, sweet vengeance victory. Question is, is this here. book four scene we're talking about or book five scene that we're talking about? That's a good question. It's- if it works in the movie perfect way that I'm imagining, it would be like a book five scene uh, of like the this is kind of like almost kind of sort of like the final battle or like a tor- turning point, if anything. Um, but like what I actually think is going to happen in our book story is. If this happens, oh, that's a really good question. I don't think we're going to see the con- this contest of champions in this book. Yeah. So it would 100% have to be the, like, the it's the Sander Lanch. And I don't know exactly what the Sander Lanch will be right now. I think it's just going to be some crazy stuff with Venley and, and, and whatnot. But I, if it does happen, then it's going to be the, like, He's fighting Gavinor, someone that he will, will refuse to fight, and it's anticlimactic right. in that sense. Um, like, surely Odin, I don't think Odin will be, like, defeated in this book, since there's a book to go, you know? So. But that that... Yep. Either way. There we go. You guys want to uh that 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 theory that Gavinor is the is the champion, I did not originate. It's it's been a it's been a thing in the fandom for a while, even before Oathbringer. You guys don't wanna know wanna know where that comes from? Before Oathbringer? Oh, yeah. I'm about to blow your mind. You ready? Before Oathbringer was released? Oh, yeah. You ready? In Words of Radiance? Words of Radiance, here is a death rattle that you you get in an epigraph. I hold the suckling child in my hands, a knife at his throat, 
and know that all who live wish me to let the blade slip, spill its blood upon the ground over my hands, and with it gain us further breath to draw. If if that is true, if that is truly a reference to Gavinor and some sort of statement of, oh, we should have killed this child while he was a child because he's going to win the war for Odium, that is a very deeply buried hint. I am I am impressed at, at y'all Cosmere fans for, for digging that up and making that connection. That seems far-fetched in my mind, but if it's true, then brilliant, I suppose. And you said that was a that was one of the death rattles, right? Correct, from an epigraph. I okay, I still don't that, and that's like one of the death rattles from Teravangian's like camp. Yep. Okay. I don't know what to do with it because of that. And do you, you guys know, but I'll just remind you, where do the death rattles come from? What what causes death rattles? There's an unmade that causes death rattles. I the name of which is Molak. Is Molak the one? Yeah, one of the un, I don't know which one it is, but one of the unmade has to be present while someone dies. Yeah. And then they see a glimpse of the future and say two lines of cryptic text and then die. Dang it. <laughs> so go back and read all those death rattles to pick, to start your theories. That that's that's where these that's where these come from. Those those end end of book five, all all those theories, that's where these come from is those death rattles. Anything else for 54 before we move on? There is the discussion. There is a discussion that, that Renarin kind of jumps into, which is, do we need more radiance with corrupted Spren? Because I, I think he's the only one we've seen so far, but he seems to imply that at least Ja'anat wants more. Yeah. And it seems like we kind of trust Jaanat or Jaanat maybe trying to make peace or help find a, a middle ground in all this. So it seems like that might be a good idea to try and create more corrupted air quotes radiance. Yeah. Uh, while we're on this topic, who else ordered a um a corrupted spren from Jaanat? Oh yeah, uh Marais uh, yes. struck a deal with uh Shalon, was it, to yeah. order him one of those? Yes. Mail he, order. Yes, he did. Amazon Prime two day shipping. Marais is just in the speed run of collect all the magic systems from all the all the planets. He goes picks up an AVR, comes Stormlight. Picks up a sphere, picks up, you know, Spren, moves on. That's that's his deal. Renarin does 
end the chapter, I think it's like the last sentence of the chapter even, with a, a very cryptic thought of, oh, I know the best candidate for the next person to bond a corrupted spren. And then the, the the scene ends, and we don't we don't get to know who who he's thinking of. Yeah, but I have an idea of who it might be. And I was curious if if you guys did. I think he might be thinking of Relaine. I think that he might be thinking, oh, Relaine had a chance to bond a normal spren, and Renard's been hanging out with the the Windrunner, so he'd be fami- he's familiar with Relaine. He probably knows that whole scenario pretty well. Relaine did not successfully bond an honor spren. And so I bet Renard is thinking of, oh, we have someone who's a already kind of a good candidate to be a radiant, but it didn't really work out for him. Maybe he just needs to be a different kind of radiant. I think I think Relaine might fit nicely into our misfit radiance category. Yeah. Kind of attacks my uh Relaine as the second Bondsmith theory, but I'll allow it. Hmm. Or a corrupted spren bondsmith i suppose there'd have to be some sort of jaw not corruption of like the sibling the sibling or something like that all right that'd be crazy raboniel successfully corrupts the pillar but that doesn't kill the sibling like the sibling thinks will happen that just gives it jaw not powers and there we go yeah could happen anyway that was my last uh thought there on that chapter sounds sounds good 55 we're back to kaladin kaladin is treating uh teft in in the room he successfully snuck back from the infirmary where he got his broth and his uh his clothes and stuff like that comes back and who finds him Uh, David, right? David comes stumbling along. He does. David Although, shows up. Less, less stumbling and more guided. It seems. Yeah, uh, presumably by the. Because um, David's talked to the sibling, and Callan's talked to the sibling. So, assuming the sibling just said, "Hey, Kaladin's in room eight thirty four up there. Go, go say hi." So he does. Walks up, opens the door, waves at Kaladin. And Kaladin says, all right, cool. Uh, take care of Teft. I got to go do this thing. So that's where we leave we leave them. This lets Kaladin not have to return here, return to the room every, you know, what, 12 hours or so to feed, feed Teft. He's free to explore the tower, defend Navani if it comes to that, that type of thing. He can let himself get captured without it being a death sentence for Teft here. So... There's another part of this chapter that I really got stuck on. And that is right at the beginning. Syl. She's done this a couple times now, but this one is the scariest yet. She starts to say very not Syl-ish things. And and in this chapter, it like it gets downright dark. She's just talking to Kaladin and she's like, how do you how do you stand it knowing everyone around you is going to die? It's like, wait, what? That that doesn't sound like so. That sounds like 
That sounds like Moash, yeah. not Sill. And Sill has always been, I think we talked about this before, because I think Sill's kind of done this a little bit before, where she seems to slip into a, another character almost, a, a very much a darker version of Sill. Sill has always been like the bubbly, happy, shining light, you know, pull Kaladin out of the darkness kind of voice. So to see her start to do this is really worrying to me. It's happened really worrying. Like yeah, like you like you mentioned, it's happened multiple times now. Maybe maybe even th- three or four, um, two for sure. And the the similarity with some of the stuff that Moash like intentionally pokes on makes me wonder like is we know that Moash is trying to get after Kaladin. Like he's made it a mission to come and isolate Kaladin. Is Moash somehow like influencing Sill or getting at Sill or I I don't know like how that would work, but this doesn't sound like her. It sounds like him. Yeah. I'm I I (laughs) I did just say this with a disclaimer, but I'm kind of excited to see Moash again. Oh, no. Only for, literally just for story purposes, because I want to see, like, I I don't want him to keep messing with Kaladin and stuff. Like, I'm ready for the, like, sweet vengeance, you know? Um, But, like, I feel like that's ways off, you know? I don't think that's going to happen yet. Um but I feel like there there may be stuff that is being influenced by Odium or Moash that we're not really seeing directly, but we might find out later in the book has been his doing. And I guess this could be something like that. I don't I don't understand how he could affect Syl or how anyone would like affect Syl. Her like at least demeanor or personality or things like that. But I mean <laughs> what I feel like I've learned from this series is like kind of anything is possible, you know? So. So let me entertain you with this idea. Let's go the other direction with it. What is Syl? An honor sprint. Okay. How would she change? How how can you make a sprint change? Like the Nile bond. Okay. Kind of thing like like how she is with Kaladin, or is it tied to honor? Elliot, or there's also the whole your per- perception of a spren changes what that spren is thing. Correct. Mm. So we're talking about the relationship, both of those. I I think Paul, I think the relationship between honor and Sill, and the relationship between Kaladin and Sill are both capable of changing Sill. Could Kaladin's perception of Syl and or who she is in his life change her? The the answer would seem to be yes, because we've seen examples of how at least the the lesser type spren, like a flame spren, can be very specifically changed. Right. I would argue that this Sill change is a byproduct of the Kaladin attack of attacks on Kaladin. As Moash isn't directly attacking Sill, as opposed to Moash is successfully getting through to Kaladin's head, 
and that is changing still. So th- this is the symptom, Correct. you know, of the Moash disease. Right. So it it's highlighting the severity of Kaladin's mental headspace right now, um, and how successful Moash and Odium are being here. Okay. Okay, I follow. Yeah, that that is true, and, and I guess I forget about that as a factor, specifically with high sprint. Like our our high sprint, I feel like I don't know. I I can't think of a specific example, but I definitely feel like there's times where our like our characters have a lot of perceptions of their their sprint, like their high sprint, mm-hmm. and I feel like it doesn't influence in the same way that we like we see with with a normal like whatever flame sprint or something you know um but yeah I but i mean that they still f- follow some sprint rules you know like does that also mean that like whatever sill appears as like a fully grown like a full size woman and stuff like that is kaladin picturing her in that way like like imagining her in that way, or if someone else, yeah, I feel like with high sprint it's different in my head. But no, I I, I agree. But I you could also make the argument that when Syl becomes, you know, her true form or whatever, a full full size, Callan's about to have an an honor moment. You know, like he's about to say yeah, an that's, ideal. That's true. It goes like hand in hand kind right. of thing. Kaladin sneaks down the side of the tower, and what does he find out? The the Oathgate is, in fact, being operated, but it's being operated by what appears to be void light. I mean, it's not confirmed, but it flashes like a dark red-purple, as opposed to the, the blue-white the blue white that we associate with Stormlight. So it, it appears to be operating via void light, which up until this point I assumed wasn't possible. But okay. Well, similar to what we also learn a few pages later, that they're apparently also operating span reads with void light as well. Right. It does seem like they're able to either directly operate Fabrials even as large as an Oathgate with void light, or they're modifying them somehow. Like maybe they have to like replace the gemstones or something like that. Maybe with something different. Right. And then it works on void light, but either way, they're making stuff work with void light. Yeah. And so Kaladin is off to go steal a span read to uh, for Navani. He's deemed that worthy enough to go do to if he can get Navani uh, a void light span read, maybe she can learn something about how to get help back to the tower. So anything else for fifty five before we go to fifty six? Not here. Okay. Uh, Venley tells her followers to go wake up a Windrunner in this up in this chapter. When I read that, I'm like, what? Like, what? Why? First of all, why would that be a good idea? Second of all, what? What makes you th- like what? What's her explanation for that? And we don't get one. She her little dude that she tells to go wake up a windrunner. He asks the same question I am. He's like, why would we do that? And all she does is like, why are you questioning me? 
and that's it. That's all. That's all we get. It's almost like a, eh, we'll figure that one when we get there. Sort of answer. <laughs> it it seems like a very plausible, at, at the very least, distraction. If Venley wants to, you know, she's got her whole escape plan where they're like setting up this plan to go run and hide in the mountains and start a new society, new culture, new um, civilization. But you would think she'd finish making all her plans first before they, you know, decide to pull the trigger. That seems like a pull the trigger moment. Take a wind runner and go, wake up. Yeah. Wake up. I, I, I'm with you. That doesn't seem the most well thought through idea on her part. Yeah. It just made me laugh of like, you don't, you don't assume that the fight or flight instinct is going to kick that funny, um, kick in for this wind runner. And she's going to, beat up the entire room once once you wake this windrunner up but no 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 that would never happen trust me i'm a windrunner okay oh yeah <laughs> so what would you do if you had storm form regals shaking you back and forth to try to wake you up well i would of course just speak to them in a nice civilized way and be like all right well I had a lovely nap. Thank you so much. Uh, seems I've overslept. Thank you so much for your consideration. And then, uh, you know, be like, well, uh, I appreciate it. I've got to go along my merry way at this moment. I've got uh, things to attend to, windrunner things. And they'd be like, all right. You're you're certainly welcome, sir. I, I, would, I would even return a favor sometime if I ever came across a sleeping fused you know seems like a cordial encounter mm-hmm. totally indeed very very proper very honorable oh, of course they there isn't too much in this chapter besides maybe venley accidentally helping out with finding a node there's a bunch of fused that are just talking back and forth like man we can't find these nodes they could be anywhere we could search for years and then Venley's kind of like, well, I'd put one where you could fill, like, you could fill it with Stormlight. And she's like, oops, I probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> so we'll see where that goes. Yeah, Venley's in that weird spot where she's you know, kind of undercover, where she wants to still help them and show that she's a contributing part of the singer army. But then, yeah, here's the moment where she goes a little too far. And she's like, ah, oops, that's going to help you a lot more than I wanted it to. Yep. Any Anything else for this episode before we, we close it out? We'll see where some of these threads go. And we can reconvene next week. Anything else? Uh, nothing else. As always, I'm excited to read more. The, the theories are getting far more convoluted. I, the, the more and more yes. that we've you know gotten under our belt here at this point, the the more knowledge we have to reference back to, the the prognostications are getting way more complicated. I was thinking about that some because, like we we find out like kind of a specific answer in this episode on some things on like what, like why, Odium can't see stuff with Renarin or why he's a. A missing yep. link or something. We f- find that out, like why that is, 
and it leads to almost more confusion. I guess it's because we now know what we can play with. Which, in terms of seeing the future and altering what you're going to do because of that, it kind of opens a lot of doors. So, that that's natural. But that's something that I think is kind of fascinating with stuff we're learning is we're learning actual things, like why this is the way it is. And it then causes utter chaos or, like, a, a lack of answers on, on what could happen. Yeah. Let's go find out what will happen. Let's keep reading and we'll reconvene next week. Thanks for joining me, Paul and Elliot. Let's do it. Adios.